17 or 18 years ago, I was still a resident in psychiatry working in Beth Israel Medical Center in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Now, that hospital has a pavilion called Bernstein Pavilion. On the seventh floor, at that time, there, was to be, there used to be a medical unit specially for medical problems caused by um, drug use. It was a little bit like the backstage of the drug scene, and uh, it was uh, meant to treat the wounded actors on this drug scene. Very interesting uh, medical unit. They, it was not uh, manned by psychiatry. It was uh, run by uh, internal medicine. But the psychiatrists, of course, they were called often for uh, consults on that unit. So that's how I ended up uh, uh, in and out of that unit. One day I was called for a consult and um, I ran into a group of kids. Um, I'm saying kids because they were pretty young patients there. And uh, this, these kids were hanging out at the reception area, one of them sitting in a wheelchair. I knew that the wheelchair is always in front of the reception area because no matter if the patient can walk or not, ultrasound or radiology are, uh, uh, are done by bringing the patient uh, on a wheelchair. So uh, I approached him uh, with the question, uh, is this wheelchair yours? Uh, immediately in my mind, following up with the statement, well, if it's not yours, why do you sit on it? Just go and sit somewhere else. But the, uh, the, the youngster, he probably was 23 years of age. Uh, he said, oh yes, it's my wheelchair. I was really taken by surprise. What do you mean? Uh, why would you need a wheelchair? I cannot walk. I am uh, paralyzed on uh, half of the body. Uh, I was uh, indeed more and more uh, intrigued. How did it happen? He said, a cocaine overdose. Well, he didn't need to say more because I knew that cocaine can cause this kind of uh, massive uh, problems in the brain. Um, but, you know, as a, a, as a young doctor, you always believe uh, that this might be just hyperboles to, uh, meant to strengthen the idea that cocaine is bad for you. But now I had in front of me uh, such a case, uh, undeniable uh, in, in evidence that uh, cocaine can definitely be very, a very vicious substance. So, uh, what is this cocaine? Uh, why is it so vilified? And uh, uh, what is its history? How, uh, how did it come to become a uh, star player on the drug scene together with marijuana and uh, heroin and uh, alcohol? And of course, alcohol is a legal drug. Well, so cocaine is a substance which is extracted out of a plant uh, called uh, Erythroxylum coca. Erythroxylum as a genus uh, or a family contains 250 plants which are native uh, to Madagascar and Latin America in the Andean region but uh, only Erythroxylum coca is uh, uh, a uh, brush uh, which produces sufficient cocaine to be extracted um, in, uh, in the production of cocaine. Now, there is also this uh, little footnote, uh, only the uh, erythroxymum coca that is grown between 1500 and 6000 feet altitude uh, is going to produce enough uh, cocaine to be uh, extracted. Uh, the others uh, are just not worth uh, bothering with. So, um, cocaine has been in use, not cocaine, but coca leaves has been in use for a long, long time, over a thousand years, who knows, maybe more. Why do we know that? Is because we have uh, paintings uh, belonging to the Inca culture, 
uh, showing people uh, using cocaine leaves uh, or coca leaves. How do you know that? Well, when you uh, so-called chew coca leaves, in fact, you don't chew them, you make a wad of uh, leaves and uh, you mix in uh, a little bit of lime and you put it under between your cheek and the gum. And when you do that, you look like uh, you have a tennis ball or a, a table tennis ball in your mouth. And uh, that's definitely visible when you see it on a painting. So, before uh, the conquistadors came and uh, changed the whole history of the continent, uh, the Incas uh, used, only, the, only the, the upper class Incas used uh, cocaine leaves. Uh, but when uh, Francesco Pizarro came and killed Atahualpa on uh, 26th of July, 1553, things changed. He so-called democratized the consumption of leaves of coca, which uh, practically um, became uh, a habit for uh, many people in that area. Some uh, people who might be inclined uh, to believe, uh, to be a little more cynical or to believe in... Um, Conspiracy theories, uh, they might say that uh, Pizarro noticed that the Incas did not respond well to incentives like, like gold, but they will uh, become surprisingly diligent in, uh, uh, in doing the chores when they were offered coca leaves. So uh, he uh, was uh, the one who is credited with democratizing the use of coca leaves. But uh, the truth is that uh, he was definitely not a, um, some kind of a mastermind, evil personality. Uh, he brought the coca leaves who he believed are going to be a hit product in Europe as well. To his surprise, Europe received this product rather with a lot of indifference. Uh, nobody bothered with cocaine for hundreds of years, so practically it was ignored by uh, Western uh, Europe. Why was that? First, there was a problem with spoilage in transit. Coca leaves are very, uh, very sensitive to humidity, and obviously there's no place more humid as the Atlantic Ocean. And we, when you cross over with the merchandise, so-called, in Western Europe, a lot of the supply just spoils in transit. So, uh, another problem was that um, uh, the practice of using coca leaves is a little bit uh, uh, unsightly. Uh, the upper class in Europe uh, felt that it was kind of strange to walk around uh, as if you have a table tennis ball in your, in your mouth, so the habit did not uh, caught on at all, as opposed to the smoking habit, which uh, caught on quite nicely. So, um, we have this uh, uh, cocaine, um, this coca leaf, and... Um, now, we have a culture that has been using it for uh, a thousand years or more, and uh, we have another culture who has been using it for a uh, hundred years and uh, has a big problem with it. What is uh, happening? Well, as uh, Theophrastus, Philippus, Aureleus, Bombastus, von Hohenheim, or uh, as he is known to his friends Paracelsus, uh, once said, Alle Dinge sind Gift und uh, nichts is on a gift. Allein die Dose uh, macht das ein Ding kein Gift ist. It's, uh, I'm not going to bother to translate it uh, word by word, but uh, in, uh, in general what it means, it means nothing is toxic, everything is toxic. It all depends on the dose. So, what does that mean? 
Well, the uh, traditional use of coca leaves was uh, as follows. You make a wad of coca leaves, you put in the middle a little bit of lime, and then you place it in the back of the mouth, in between the cheek and the gums, and you let it stay there for uh, several hours. This way you get uh, maybe uh, 0.25 grams of cocaine into your bloodstream, which is delivered rather smoothly, rather little by little, uh, in the course of the whole day. When administered like this, uh, whether it has a negative effect on people is rather controversial. So, um, they, uh, people are doing it because uh, they say that it gives them more energy and it heals a lot of uh, uh, ailments like uh, digestive problems or, uh, or uh, altitude sickness. Um, and to be fair, uh, very few people who use coca leaves that way um, are going to become addicted and also, uh, to be fair, the coca leaves happens to contain a lot of vitamins and a lot of minerals uh, which would not be available otherwise to the people of the Andean Plateau where uh, very little vegetation grows anyway. So, uh, we have on one, uh, on one hand uh, Evo Morales, the Bolivian president who was the president also of the coca growers in, uh, in Bolivia, defying the public opinion by using uh, coca leaves on camera and not understanding what's the big deal. Why is he taking so much heat from uh, the other countries to stop the production of uh, coca in his country? But on the other hand, we have the Western civilizations who point out what uh, co uh, cocaine did to, to them as a society. And uh, let's see, what does it do, uh, this cocaine? First, you have to understand that um, the way the Westerners are using cocaine is much different. They use uh, a, uh, a refined form of uh, cocaine, not coca leaves. Uh, they use a quantity of anywhere between one to three grams or even more. And they do it in a matter of minutes. And uh, when you do that, you have a completely different result. And uh, what kind of result? So let's see. From the moment when cocaine goes um, uh, into your bloodstream, it uh, gets uh, straight to the brain. And there it uh, has its main action, and that is um, inhibiting the reuptake of dopamine in the nucleus accumbens. I know, you're going to say, what the hell did you say? So uh, let's, uh, uh, let's review. The human being has uh, like an inner compass to uh, make, uh, uh, make him or her understand what is good to do and what is bad to do for oneself and for the species. This uh, inner compass or reward system is uh, composed of a uh, dual structure, the nucleus accumbens and ventral tegmental area. Uh, nucleus accumbens is somewhere in the orbit of frontal lobe. And what does it mean? Is that part of the brain that sits on the orbit? And the orbit is that uh, part of the bone which uh, lodges the eye. So I think anybody can have an image where uh, that orbital frontal lobe is and where the nucleus accumbens is. Now you have the ventral tegmental area, which is another nucleus uh, in the midbrain, somewhere between the cortex and the brainstem. So you have this dual structure, ventral tegmental area and nucleus accumbens. It happens that when you stimulate the ventral tegmental area, uh, there is an um, electric impulse that travels into nucleus accumbens and them together, when they light up with electricity, they 
cause people to have this intense feeling of pleasure. They cause people to feel as if they did something good for themselves or for the species. And uh, the, what, what are the classic uh, ways in which you have this pleasure? Well, when you eat, uh, when you engage in sexual activities, when uh, other people pat you on the back and say that you do something good, uh, so, uh, in, in these situations, the dopamine is flowing in these structures and you have the feeling of well-being. For uh, some reason, uh, it's like a, like a bad joke. Nature found a way to supply to the human animal with substances that circumvent this natural process and can access the reward system and directly stimulate it as if uh, uh, something good happened for uh, that individual while nothing good did and these are the substances called uh, alcohol tetrahydrocannabinol uh, heroin uh, or diacetylmorphine uh, and finally cocaine so the and uh, of course there are many others but these are the the main ones um, and uh, you have the situation when uh, the person or a, a human ingests these substances or uh, gets them into their bloodstream somehow and uh, they have a feeling of uh, having done something good while in fact they did nothing good, uh, if anything, something pretty bad. Now to uh, zoom in to the ventral tegmental area and get exactly to the uh, place where cocaine has its action, uh, you have to imagine the following. In the ventral tegmental area, there is the, uh, the cell, the body of the neuron, the cell body. And then this body has a branch that extends, it's very long, can be even uh, two, three feet long, but in this situation it's just a few inches long. And it goes from the ventral tegmental area in the midbrain all the way into the prefrontal lobe in nucleus accumbens. And when it reaches uh, that place, it falls onto neurons that uh, constitute the nucleus accumbens and it stimulates them. Now, how does this stimulation go? Well, it's a pulse of uh, a neurotransmitter, a chemical that can uh, cause an electrical event in the next neuron. So uh, this uh, neuron, this particular neurotransmitter is uh, dopamine, who is used in this particular uh, occasion because the neurons can, uh, can communicate like this with each other using many other substances. Now, uh, this dopamine is, uh, is um, sprayed in pulses, which last for milliseconds. Uh, and uh, right after that happens, there is another event, a, uh, a suction action, like a vacuum, who takes the dopamine back into the cell that produces it, so repackages it and uses it later down the road. So this action of uh, vacuuming the dopamine after milliseconds of having acted on the next neuron uh, is blocked by cocaine. And as a result, there is more dopamine around and the neuron in the nucleus accumbens believes that there is more, a lot of stimulation uh, coming from the ventral tegmental area. So practically the system is tricked into believing that something very, very good for the individual happened. Now this effect is so powerful that laboratory animals will self-administer cocaine at the expense of food and water until they die. That's uh, pretty much the only addictive substance that does that, that has this effect. Also, uh, interesting, uh, the uh, human beings do not quite self-administer until they die of starvation or uh, dehydration, but there is something specific about cocaine. It tends to be administered in binges that last for days or until the money runs out or uh, the supply of cocaine runs out. So it's a very powerful reinforcer of this uh, 
VTA, ventral tegmental area nucleus accumbens pair of nuclei, uh, so powerful that um, you uh, are compelled to use it until you run out of it or you run out of means to, to procure it. We talked about the good effects uh, of the cocaine, the so-called good effects of the cocaine, that means giving you this uh, rush. Now let's see what it does bad to the brain, because uh, uh, definitely it will not be uh, a, a drug uh, whose consumption is punished so uh, severely by the society if there wasn't, wouldn't be a, a bad uh, aspect of its use. So uh, what does it do? So as I said, it stimulates the ventral tegmental area nucleus accumbens causing euphoria, but once it's gone, uh, it uh, leaves you in a state of withdrawal. And uh, what does it mean? Uh, after the effect is gone, the people go through phases. In the first phase, they are agitated, depressed, uh, experiencing extreme craving and uh, not being able to sleep. After that, there is a phase when you do exactly the opposite. Uh, depression still stays, but the opposite means that uh, you sleep a lot, you eat a lot, and uh, you, you feel pretty, pretty lousy. And uh, after that, there is uh, a uh, uh, normalization of the sleep, but uh, with continuous cravings for cocaine, who can last for weeks. Uh, what happens to the brain, it, it, you can see that it visibly changes the brain. The acute event, uh, the acute administration of cocaine will lead to vasoconstriction. The vasoconstriction will lead to uh, a lot of bad things happening. First, uh, you can get a very bad headache. But also, you can uh, have one of these arteries burst inside the brain. Why is that? Because uh, if you constrict a blood vessel and in the same time you raise the blood uh, pressure in the rest of the body, uh, you are going to have uh, the high likelihood that one of these uh, little vessels inside the brain will burst. And uh, when that happens, you have a intracerebral hemorrhage or subarachnoidian hemorrhage, uh, the uh, stroke, the, uh, the, what we call uh, stroke with uh, a lot of negative consequences, even death. Uh, what else it can cause? It can cause uh, encephalitis, a toxic encephalitis that usually leads to coma and very often death as well. Uh, it can cause transient ischemic attack uh, and uh, TIA or transient ischemic attack means a situation where the blood vessels are so constricted that they mimic a uh, stroke, but the symptoms, fortunately, are transitory. They do not last more than half an hour, and then they go away by themselves. Let's go a little lower. Uh, oh, and uh, with the brain, uh, another kind of big, uh, a big um, problem that can happen is uh, seizures. Uh, obviously, cocaine is a strong stimulant of all the uh, brain, and... Uh, uh, when you are predisposed or when you have already a lower a lowered seizure threshold, then the risk of seizure has become uh, very, uh, uh, very clear. Uh, to the heart, what does it do to the heart? It uh, speeds it up. How does it speed it up? It can cause sinus tachycardia or uh, supraventricular tachycardia or even, uh, or even uh, ventricular tachyarrhythmia. Uh, these are just... Um, uh, changes in the rhythm accompanied with a high rhythm and obviously the worst of it is the ventricular tachyarrhythmia which can go into ventricular fibrillation and uh, death. Aside from that it can cause uh, a heart attack. It will constrict the coronary arteries that supply the, uh, the heart with blood to the extent that they will choke the blood supply and the oxygen supply to the muscle um, causing a heart attack. 
They also cause cardiomyositis. What does that mean? An inflammation of the muscle of the heart with uh, resulting um, uh, cardiac insufficiency uh, and uh, very often death follows as well. Uh, if you uh, cause the heart to start beating faster and um, uh, beating irregular, you are going to have an increased risk of uh, thrombi, that means of the blood coagulating inside, inside the heart, and uh, these little thrombi being spewed into the systemic circulation. As a result of that, you can have a, a tr uh, thrombosis in the arteries of the brain with, um, with a stroke. You can have a thrombosis in the kidney or uh, in the intestines or even in the uh, extremities. You can have, even uh, if you are already suffering of some peripheral artery disease, uh, this kind of event, uh, the, uh, consecutive to cocaine administration, can lead to uh, ischemia, an is acute ischemic event in your uh, extremities. Um, to the vascular system, it can cause a generalized contraction, which leads to hypertension. Uh, is not uncommon for the aorta, the biggest uh, uh, artery in the in the body, to burst. That's called uh, aortic dissection. Uh, as a result of this uh, stress, the combination of uh, hypertension uh, plus an increased heart rate, uh, it can lead to the burst of the uh, aortic, uh, aortic uh, artery. Um, pretty much fatal in uh, a very high uh, percentage of situations. It uh, can also affect uh, the metabol metabolism. In that way, uh, it can cause hyperthermia and rhabdomyolysis. Rhabdomyolysis means uh, breakdown of the muscles uh, and uh, with resulting, resulting uh, kidney insufficiency because the breakdown in the muscles uh, means uh, that in the bloodstream there are going to be a lot of big proteins that will choke the renal filter. Uh, what happens if you administer this uh, substance to a pregnant woman? Well, problems with the placenta. Placenta may insert in the wrong spot, uh, leading to a placenta previa. It can lead to a very uh, problematic insertion of placenta with um, uh, subsequent uh, placental detachment uh, and, uh, in and uh, massive hemorrhage. It can lead to spontaneous abortion, uh, malformations of the fetus, or uh, neurodevelopmental uh, delays once the uh, baby is born, even mental retardation. I have been uh, ranting and raving against cocaine, and in my opinion, I gave you pretty good arguments why you should not touch cocaine. But some of you might say, uh, look, I don't have anybody who has a cocaine problem. I don't know anybody who has a cocaine problem. After all, uh, why should I pay attention to this? Uh, what is the magnitude of this phenomenon? Is it really something that I must be concerned with? So that's a legitimate question. That means uh, what um, uh, is the impact on the society? How many people are using cocaine? Uh, this is where uh, epidemiological studies can help. Uh, the uh, cocaine use depends very much on uh, availability, uh, the permissiveness of the society to its use, and uh, some genetic factors, because exactly like with the alcohol, uh, the vulnerability to develop cocaine addiction has something to do with the genes, and I will show you how. Now, um, obviously, um, availability means um, amount and price. 
and uh, this connection between an addictive of behavior and the availability of that particular item is very clearly demonstrated as for example the connection between alcohol dependence and the density of alcohol outlets in a certain community or uh, between obesity and uh, the number of uh, fast food restaurants in a certain area. So this is beyond dispute. The more amount of, uh, you have and the, more, the lower the price is of a certain desirable substance, the more consumption you will get. Now another aspect is permissiveness. For example, in uh, Bol Bolivia and Peru, uh, the permissiveness is very high. People do not blink an eye when uh, you see someone chewing coca leaves on the street. In other societies, uh, the permissiveness is much less uh, obvious. But within the same uh, nas nation, uh, there are pockets where uh, is um, uh, a big offense or uh, let's say an unacceptable behavior to use cocaine and there are pockets, areas where uh, this issue is not a big deal. Uh, compare, for example, the rural areas of United States versus the urban areas of the United States. You might say, well, there are some cities that uh, have very low uh, permissiveness to cocaine use, uh, and there are rural areas that have a very high permissiveness to cocaine. But in general, that's pretty much the rule. The higher the urban agglomeration, the more permissive uh, this uh, attitude is towards the consumption of drugs in general. So let's see, um, what are the numbers? We know the numbers, they have been followed for many decades and we know that uh, uh, they uh, kind of fluctuate between a low of 1.5% to a high, which happened in the early 80s, of 6.9%. And what do they mean? That means in the, in the early 80s, 6.9% of this country within any given year of that beginning of the decade uh, was dependent on cocaine. So these percentages means uh, dependence on cocaine. Uh, or uh, if you think about uh, the total number of people who are within a certain year dependent on cocaine, that's also the definition of prevalence, prevalence. As opposed to incidence, which is the new cases of uh, cocaine dependence appearing in a certain year of study. So uh, this is the, um, uh, the magnitude of the problem. Uh, currently, the number is around 1.6% of the people of this uh, country, United States, are addicted to cocaine any uh, given year in the recent past. Now, um, why does it happen to some people and it doesn't happen to others? After all, uh, if you take 100 people and you give them cocaine, only 16 of them will become dependent and uh, when you cannot say but if you take a period of 10 years after the first use of cocaine you will see that uh, 16 out of 100 will become dependent so if you take once cocaine this is the risk that you are dealing with the risk that uh, the 16 percent chance that uh, within the next 10 years you are going to meet the criteria for dependence it may not happen the current year, it may not happen in two years, in three years, but if you look at the 10-year uh, uh, frame, you will see that 16% uh, uh, of the people who try cocaine will eventually get, get addicted to it. So, um, 
We were speaking about permissiveness and uh, about availability, and I mentioned something about the genes. How do we know that genes uh, play a role? That means the individual characteristics play a role. There is something like a vulnerability that an individual can have to developing this illness called cocaine dependence. How do we know that? There were some studies showing that um, uh, if you have an identical twin who got addicted to cocaine, your chances of becoming addicted to cocaine are higher than if you have a fraternal twin who got addicted to cocaine. So you see uh, the subtlety of this study. You look at people who have a uh, identical genetic making, and the more, uh, uh, not identical, that almost identical, to a certain degree, like the identical twins, and then you have the fraternal uh, twins, which have uh, much less in common, and you see the risk of becoming addicted if your uh, if your uh, uh, twin got addicted decreasing uh, as you are genetically more distant from uh, your twin. So. Um, now, we talked about the ravages of cocaine, we talked about the impact on the society or the magnitude of this phenomenon, and now let's uh, talk about something more optimistic, treatment. But, as I will show you, the optimism is, uh, let's say, cautious optimism. What can it be done? <clears throat> Medication, I'm going to dismiss this from the beginning. There is no medication that can help cocaine dependence. There have been numerous medications that have been studied, like dopamine stimulants, all sorts of antidepressants, um, monoamine oxidase inhibitors, Parkinsonian medications, even uh, medications for psychosis or um, uh, a um, cocaine vaccine, all have been looked at. None of them works at the, at the time of this uh, recording. None of them works. Maybe, who knows, something will come up later down the road, but as of now, uh, forget about medication. It's not a medication treatment. Medication may play a role when you are dealing with the intoxication or withdrawal, not so much withdrawal, mostly intoxication with cocaine. Obviously, you must do something medication-wise to uh, help uh, to save, save a life eventually. And what uh, can be done, usually uh, beta blockers and uh, alpha-adrenolytic substances, maybe anti-seizure medications are used in the acute intoxication. And uh, sometimes even neuroleptics, if you are dealing with an, an intoxication involving hallucinations or delusions. So, um, what do you do uh, for the main problem? That means the addiction itself. Let's say that you are no longer in an intoxicated state, you are no longer into a withdrawal state. What do you do to make sure that you stay abstinent? Well, this is where the optimist has to be a little bit tamed down. If you are looking at abstinence, if you define abstinence as complete absence of any use of cocaine, then the treatment results are going to appear rather disappointing. Does it mean that treatment makes no sense? Absolutely not. Treatments may not achieve abstinence in a significant number of uh, people, and when I call abstinence, abstinence forever, but it can definitely achieve marked reductions of the use of cocaine, which are indeed worth the trouble, worth the effort and the money and the economic investment in this activity. So, um, let's see how, for example, uh, the studies that look at the efficacy of the treatment programs for cocaine dependence are uh, 
vary. They they are um, very heterogeneous. Um, they involve a lot of parameters that they look at. But I'm going to give you as an example uh, one of them. Uh, who uh, looked at uh, the outpatient programs um, and uh, the question that uh, this study asked was how many people, what percentage of people after attending an outpatient program report a 50% or more decline in their use of cocaine. And uh, if you look at the people who stayed in the program less than three months, that number is 58%. So uh, roughly half of the people who attended the program less than three months will report a 50% or more decline in their cocaine consumption. The people who go to the, in, uh, to the outpatient program for more than three months, they will report in a percentage of 85% a decline of 50% or more in their cocaine use after the program. So uh, you see it's a significant decline. There are inpatient programs showing that a person entering the program with a frequency of 17 per uh, 17 days out of 30 of use of cocaine before the program goes down to one or two days per month of use of cocaine after the program. So um, uh, it's uh, definitely uh, worth uh, spending your time in a treatment program like that because uh, going from uh, a massive consumption of cocaine to a uh, yeah, modest consumption of cocaine is still can save a lot of lives and uh, can save a lot of money to the society in general. Now, uh, what kind of programs are out there? I just mentioned there are um, inpatient and outpatients. The outpatient programs are either the one uh, are either the ones who are organized by professionals or just the self-help group of the model of AA. Of course, they are called NA, but in fact, um, the people who are dependent on cocaine, they can end up with any of those AA or NA. It doesn't really matter. Now, the outpatient programs are uh, more structured and they uh, uh, are uh, usually orga um, organized uh, based on uh, time, either for uh, one month, for three months, or uh, some uh, run even longer than that. Uh, the outpatient programs involve uh, a daily attendance, Monday to Friday, several hours a day, and uh, some of them are structured in such a way that um, they allow people to have a job, so they are during the evening. The um, uh, out inpatient programs, they uh, used to be um, uh, kind of modeled by the 28-day uh, uh, inpatient, pro inpatient treatment programs designed by Hazelden Foundation in, uh, uh, in Minnesota. Uh, they started with AA philosophy um, when they constructed this uh, type of program and they expanded it uh, beyond alcohol to any kind of uh, substance abuse. Um, what I have seen is a kind of slow erosion of this program. Nowadays, I've heard of 21 days program, so probably some uh, uh, quote-unquote wizard from uh, the managed care company, uh, they looked at studies and uh, concluded that uh, 28, uh, 21 days program work as well as 28 days program. Therefore, what's the, what's the big deal? Let's uh, no longer pay for 28 days, but 21 days. Uh, I don't know how uh, nobody noticed that uh, this is... Uh, a uh, gradual result, that means from 0 to 28 there is an increase in the results of the program. So obviously if you pro compare 28 days with 21 days, you are not going to see a statistically uh, significant uh, difference and uh, probably the next step would be to compare 21 days with 14 days and also not find any statistically significant difference. 
therefore kind of justifies this uh, trickle-down uh, approach to healthcare. But uh, um, it's clearly documented that uh, when it comes to cocaine, uh, even a month is too little. Three months is more likely to cause a substantial benefit. But now, three months, uh, there is no inpatient program that is already called a treatment community, another model uh, developed by in California uh, in the beginning of the uh, 1960s. So, um, what happens inside the program? Either outpatient, inpatient, what kind of philosophy, what are they doing, what are they talking about? Well, there are, two, uh, there are three um, main approaches, uh, psych psychological approaches. One of them is contingency management. Now, contingency management is rather a controversial approach. It means giving someone something that they desire in exchange for a behavior that the uh, program desires. What does it mean? Uh, to, uh, to at, the, at the most crass, the program will actually pay their participants to, uh, to give them urine toxicology screens which are negative for cocaine. So um, participants are paid a certain amount of money every time when they give a uh, negative uh, urine toxicology sample. Now, uh, urine sample, but uh, again, we are not talking about uh, asking the patients to go out on the street and bring a clean urine. They are definitely supervised to make sure that uh, clean urine means actually actual no use of cocaine. So, um, obviously, nobody is going to agree with that. This idea of paying someone to stay sober is uh, rather unpalatable to many uh, politicians and uh, many observers from the society in general. So, uh, these are uh, never beyond a very small experimental group. But other forms of incentives, uh, like vouchers for goods and services, uh, are used, or even uh, even uh, more frequent is uh, access to housing and access to employment is used as um, a, um, a positive reinforcer. But contingency management doesn't mean only positive reinforcement. It also means negative reinforcement and punishment. Negative reinforcement means withdrawing something that is desired by the individual, and punishment means introducing something that is painful to the individual. Not necessarily physical, but uh, uh, it can be any kind of, uh, let's say, uh, 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 stimuli that uh, causes a, an averse reaction. Now, um, the negative reinforcers are used in uh, licensed professionals who are, uh, uh, who are addicted to cocaine. That means withdrawing the license to practice uh, a certain profession if you are found to be positive for cocaine. So these are uh, examples of negative reinforcement. And of course, punishments, it's very well known, incarceration. That's the most common one. Uh, but uh, if you are in Singapore, you might uh, even get uh, uh, flogged at, in the public square. Uh, not quite in the public square, I'm a little bit more dramatic, but it, that's what happens in Singapore. You, you may risk getting some uh, uh, whips on your back uh, if uh, you are caught, uh, uh, we are caught using drugs. Dealing drugs is probably much worse than that for in that uh, justice system. But let's see. So this is one approach, contingency management. Another approach, very well studied, is cognitive behavioral therapy. This is practically the main form of uh, psychotherapy that is happening in the United States, but it has uh, some practical uh, applications, is uh, modified in a certain way to be applicable to cocaine dependence. 
And uh, what uh, does that mean? How does a program based on this approach function? Well, it has some components. The first one is a lot of psychoeducation. What does it mean? People are uh, taught how the mind works, how the addiction works, how, uh, how does it uh, get this uh, uh, tight grip on the person, uh, why is it happening, where the, even the mechanism, the biological mechanism by which uh, the cocaine um, uh, is uh, getting a hold of the individual, all of this are uh, detailed in the psychoeducation part of the model. Then there is this, um, uh, there is this uh, uh, idea of teaching the individual how to sniff out the dangerous situations. That means how to recognize from a mile situations in which they might relapse. Uh, it's extremely important skill. If you know that uh, a party is going to involve uh, cocaine, then you know uh, because of repeated psychotherapy that you should not be there. Uh, another skill is um, if the relapse happens, how to manage the relapse? What do you do? Do you go uh, with all or nothing concept like I tried but I lost and uh, therefore I may uh, go into a binge for a week? Or the concept uh, of uh, I stumbled but I'm not going to fall. I'm going to stand up and walk again in the right direction. So. Um, uh, it's, uh, these little psychological tricks are taught again and again and practiced again and again in uh, these uh, treatment settings. Uh, there is another program, that, uh, another philosophy approach that I'm going to mention to you, although it uh, doesn't seem to have the scientific backing of the CBT, but it's for some reason very uh, widely spread, is the motivational enhancement therapy. Motivational enhancement therapy. According to this approach, um, the cocaine addiction has, and in general addiction has five stages, pre-contemplation, contemplation, action, maintenance, and relapse. And uh, uh, the uh, uh, therapy consists in a, a special uh, set of measures that is designed uh, to target an individual according to the stage in which he or she finds himself or herself. There is a certain there's a intervention for the pre-contemplation pre stage, for the contemplation stage, for the um, uh, action stage, and so on. Uh, it's a useful um, um, uh, heuristic model uh, that remains still to be assessed in a more scientific way, kind of checked in, the, in, uh, in situations of uh, controlled uh, uh, studies. So, um, in um, uh, closing, what is the message? Cocaine is a really, really bad idea. Uh, it will have an explosive uh, effect on uh, people's lives. It will call a downward, call, cause a downward economic turn in someone's life. You will see a vacuum forming around you because nobody wants to associate with you anymore. You will see legal troubles piling up sky high. And uh, you will see a lot of personal risk, either psychological or actual physical. So um, the good part is that uh, you should not just accept this as a given. If you fell into this trap, you do not forget there are plenty of things that you can do to get yourself out of that.